Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Uh, Kid Presentable, trying to get back home. Not going to be on our show today, but we got Lavender Gooms, and we got our bo- my boy DJ Mark. How you gentlemen doing? Hey, good. Happy holidays. That's doing right. The good. war's not over. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah to all I mean, you all out there. I mean, yeah, Mike's talking about, I'm talking about Christmas. We're talking about Hanukkah. We're talking about Boxing Day. Um, I believe today is something with Kwanzaa. I believe today, Boxing Day, it's to commemorate the upset between uh, Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa. Mm. Oh, okay. So yep. now also today, I mean, it's the 34th anniversary. And I don't need to tell you guys this because this is an important day in history. It's the 34th anniversary of the date where in the world's most famous arena, Madison, arena, Madison Square Garden, the Iron Sheik slapped that camel clutch, clutch on Bob Backlund's bitch ass. And then... Made him humble, made that jabroni humble, and w- then his manager Andre uh, Arnold Scullin threw in that towel, and Shiki Baby became champion, the first and only Iranian champion ever. Iron Sheik number one, baby. And then like four that months later, today? yeah, and then like I, maybe like a month later or so, Hulk Hogan beat him, and Hulkamania started. Which, by the way, I was gonna. Hulk everything Hulk. <laughs> before Hulk doesn't really count, Bob. As far as I'm concerned, there's Hulk is like a, Jesus when it comes I, to I, pro I just wrestling. Say, there's before a, and after. There's an if if a pro wrestling there was gonna be a pro wrestling holiday, so just accept that premise first. All right, it would be January twenty twenty third, the anniversary of Hulkamania. You know, so in a month, everybody push for that day off. Um, yeah, I hope everybody had a great uh holiday. Um, we say holiday because not everybody celebrates Christmas, and if you had a good Christmas, good for you. you. Had a good Hanukkah, you had a good everything. Maybe you just had nothing to do. You don't celebrate anything. You just you know chilled. Hope you had a good Get a couple free um, days off. Not bad. Yeah, exactly. No bad. Not bad at all. No um, um, all right. We're going to talk a little bit about UFC 219, the last card of this fine year. A pretty good one, quite frankly. Uh, we lost a fight that I was super jazzed about. We lost Jimmy Rivera and John Lineker. We're going to talk a little bit in a minute about some of the adventures that we got this on Christmas between um, Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Moraes, and Marlon Moraes' shithead manager, Ali Abdelaziz. Um because that was a side plot to my holiday, just reading about all that nonsense. Um, but still a pretty good card. We got uh, four really good fights, quite frankly, and then one, eh, Mark Casey, kind of a prospect, though. Should be fun to see him go out there and perform. Um, I mean, I guess we should talk about something that happened this week before we just start picking fights. I forgot what happened, man. What we, what happened last week? Were there fights? Well, yeah, I want to hear about this Lidiker thing, because I didn't no, know I mean, about this until this. today, okay. that Rivera is not fighting. Okay, so Jimmy Rivera, you know, Except a fight at the last mo- week of the month, didn't really get to enjoy Thanksgiving. Spent Christmas in Vegas with his wife, and uh, John Lineker got hurt. Uh, had to pull out of the fight. Apologized a bunch. John Lineker, everybody cool with him, you know. Jimmy Rivera, except you know, it was like, "Oh man, you get hurt. What are you gonna do?" So uh, Marlon Murray starts squawking about how he wants to fight Jimmy Rivera, and then Jimmy Rivera's like, "All right, I'm here. Let's fight." And then Marlon Murray says, "I can't make 135." So then Jimmy Rivera says, "How about 138?" 
And then Marlon Moraes is like, I can't make 138. And then Jimmy Rivera is like, uh, how about 140? And then Marlon Moraes is like, I can't make 140. And then in the middle of this, Ali Abdelaziz, which is Marlon Moraes' manager, starts shit-talking John Lineker. I mean, starts shit-talking Jimmy, shit Jimmy Rivera. Um, and the only reason we all know Marlon Moraes wasn't Mar uh, uh, Ali Abdelaziz wasn't just tweeting for Marlon Moraes was that we got video of Marlon Moraes in the middle of this too. Um, and then finally, Jimmy Rivera's like, fuck it, fine. 145 pounds, man. 10 pounds over our weight class. Come on down to Vegas. Let's fight. And then Marlon Moraes is like, nah, man, I'm cool. We're not, I'm, I'm, I can't, we can't fight. Um, so yeah. And then like John Dotson wants to fight and everybody's just like, you're not in the title picture. This is a stupid fight. So that, yeah, we got no fight. Um, Ali Abdelaziz remains a shithead. Um, I'll have a good time shitting on him when we talk about Khabib later. So I'm gonna save some of it for that. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Rivera and John Lineker was gonna be fun, Marcus. That was just gonna be a good time. I no, I agree. That was one of the fights I was looking forward to the most on this, you know, really good main card. Uh, I I, I guess I don't follow the logic with the Dodson thing. I mean, he's not a title picture, but that's still like a good fight, and it's a fight. No, and I, it's think a guy that has a not, I think the UFC is not offering that. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Looking at what, I think they're looking at 135, and they're like, it's either like, I mean, like we need a another contender. Dominic's hurt. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but Dodson moved up to 35, right? Yeah, but Dodson's not yeah. in the pick. Ty Dodson's not yeah, close. But... My Dotson lost his last. I think Dotson just lost him a race, actually. Maybe. Still, I, I think it's know. a decent replacement. I, I, think, I think you're I, right, I, but that I, was I, close. Honestly, I, think, I think Jimmy would take it. Um, I, I do too, but I mean, I, I, I want to see the guy fight. I mean, I look, if Jimmy bad. if Jimmy was doesn't take the if they offered it to Jimmy and Jimmy doesn't take it, you know that they'll call him a pussy. So don't worry, well, the news will get out because mm. uh, that's definitely what they are if they don't accept the fight on you know two days notice. Um, all right, uh, sarcasm. Um, yeah, that that's what's going on there. Um, so, I mean, fuck it. We might as well just get into this, huh? Let's just talk about this card. That's what's happening. There's nothing else worth the shit happening right now, unless I missed a whole week of MMA news in the middle here. I can't remember <laughs> anything. Not that I was following super closely, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't... I mean, I saw Tyron Woodley bought his mama a house, which was one of his goals. So that's, that's nice. Cool. That's very nice. Um, I saw Don Donald Cerrone and Yancey Medeiros got booked for a five-round fight uh, on Fox Sports One, which big thumbs up on that fight. I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm a jinx it, but I don't see a scenario where that's bad. So you know, to to analyze uh, Tyron Wood Woodley's uh, buying his mama house, mm -hmm. don't you think it's, uh, he probably doesn't like his mom too much because he's been champion for a while? Like, why yeah, is he, he just getting around to buying his mama house? I mean, he wanted to buy her an entire. He didn't want to buy her a house and she has to pay a mortgage. He wanted to buy the whole thing cash. Mike, come on now. <laughs> well, just today we got the story about the the first round pick for the the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, he's been rich for like half a year, and he yeah, paid off what, his parents. He's like twenty two. Woodley up? got four. Woodley got four kids, man. <laughs> okay. It's... He probably spends a lot. Of, he probably spends a lot of money for that barber too. Cause kudos to that haircut. Oh man, best beard in MMA. Also, to be honest, it's just it's. Man, I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn about the beard. I'm talking about that shape up. I mean, I see you're trying to grow a beard right now. I think you should be impressed by Woodley's. Well, I'm impressed by anyone who can grow facial hair at all because this. Well, I realize radio is a non-visual medium, but what I have on my face is the best I can ever do. I mean, have you guys seen Sean Livingston? That's what Mike's generally going for here. I think. <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> 
That's an app description. I mean, let, let the hair grow a little bit, and you're pretty much just going right for it also. <laughs> okay. I think Mike's pulling it off. He looks good. Hey. Tell that to the old lady who hates the facial hair. Oh. That's her loss. <laughs> I'm always a fan, though. That's why I have a big, stupid beard. So, Yeah, okay. Um, fuck it. Let's just talk about UFC 219. UFC 219. Where they tried to get they they tried to act like they weren't trying to book Tyron Woodley versus Nate Diaz, where they definitely were trying to book Tyron Woodley versus Nate Diaz. Um, Nate Diaz, by the way, saying that if people want him to fight, they should ask nicely. And then Gokansaki said, "Please come back to fighting." Not that Nate's trying to not that Gokan's trying to fight him. Nate just, he just said, "Please come back to fighting." Well, there you go. So it's yeah. in your ball, Nate. You asked yeah, you Nate, you someone that wanted back. to ask nicely, someone did. So the UFC didn't get us Woodley and Nate Diaz. So instead, they're like. All right, Holly Holm and Cyborg, which is the same thing. Um, it's really not. Uh, so headlined here by a weight class with no rankings and no fighters. Um, a number one contender who won a weight fight in a different weight class. Uh, we got Cyborg Cyborg Justino defending her featherweight championship, which she won by beating a 135-pounder after the previous champion didn't want to fight her for a number of reasons, I guess. What a weight class. Um, Holly Holm. Uh, coming into this fight as an underdog, but quite frankly, not as big as an underdog as um, many of Cyborg's opponents, um, partially due to skill, and Marcus, I'd say partially due to the matchup, given how these two women fight. Yeah, no, I mean, skill set-wise, they could match up really well. Um, I guess if we're just going to break down the fight, um, I, I do think Cyborg is going to win it. Um but there's definitely a scenario where Holly has another breakout performance like she did with Ronda. I feel like that kind of could play out here just with stylistically how Cyborg is super aggressive and how well we saw Holly Holm uh, perform when she did fight Ronda Rousey. Uh, that being said, I think Cyborg and Ronda and how they approach the striking game are two different beasts altogether. And I think Cyborg's a lot more tactical when she gets in the pocket and how she enters striking range and how she's going to set up her punches and kicks. Uh, but that all being said, you know, Holly knows that game really well, and I think that's why this is a interesting matchup, even though Holly Holmes not riding a ton of momentum right now. You know, she did get a highlight reel knockout um, against Beth, but like those who saw it know, it wasn't a really exciting matchup until that highlight reel uh, head kick and finish uh, came, came to fruition. So, yeah, I, I think Holly Holmes stylistically could present some problems, and it would be it's going to be interesting to see how she deals with the aggression that cyborg usually puts on opponents right i mean a lot of her fights are just her manhandling her opponents and getting the the knockout within the first couple rounds um this being a five-round fight holly Holm not being a girl that really gets overwhelmed and knocked out with you know pressure uh i i think stylistically it could be a smart matchup where maybe we see holly you know save herself until the you know the deep waters of the fourth and fifth round so and this see could suck, you're saying it could be a lot What's of. Oh, could be, this could suck. We could get a lot of oh, cyborg swinging and that Holly Holm backing up. Uh, I mean, potentially it, it could be somewhat. I don't think it will be honestly, um, because I, I, the other end of the equation, cyborg really doesn't have boring fights, in my opinion, and that could be because the caliber of opponent she's usually facing is well below her skill level, and she, you know, has a tendency to manhandle pace herself, find those moments where she's able to do, you know, maximum damage and finish the fights. I feel like those opportunities could be minimized with Holly, who has, you know, a good defensive stand-up game where she uses a lot of lateral movement to get out of the way of barrages. Um, she's also extremely active. So I, I think this could be a really fun fight, but we've seen a lot of Holly home fights 
where they don't look like the Ronda fight, and they can be a little lackluster, right? She tends to throw a lot of combinations that, at least from our you know understanding, don't seem to have that kind of aggression of really landing, and they seem kind of pitter-patter to set up a finishing blow, whether a lot of times it's high, uh, high kicks off of a three-punch, four-punch combination. Um, but a lot of times, you know, I think Holly gets wins just by being um, more active than the other fighter and just kind of stealing the rounds that way. I don't think that's going to work with Chris, who's going to be looking for those heavy strikes. Is going to be looking to pressure, get Holly home, you know, up against the cage, use her Muay Thai to dominate the clinch. So I, I think there's a lot of probability, you know, and if Cyborg gets the, the fight on the ground where Holly's not super, you know, skilled at, she she has a really good takedown defense, but uh, we've seen Cyborg... I mean, I mean, I don't think she gets taken down a lot in her fights because she manages the distance really well. She doesn't give girls the opportunity to shoot a lot of double legs and get a lot of clinch in. And when she does get clinched up, I feel like she has a, a good understanding of how to get away from the cage, break free, and get back into that free moment. So, you but I, I think, man, um, worries me is that she doesn't, she can't get up. Well, Misha, and then that's, Misha got Amisha got on top of her twice, and they were yeah, and the that's entirety what, of the like she couldn't get up till the bell rung. The first yeah, and what I was going to allude, and what I was going to allude to is that if Cyborg's able to get her down, um, I think she's better on the ground. And I think with ground and pound, she strikes a lot harder. That's an area where Cyborg is very strong: is getting you on the ground, controlling you, and you know punching you up there. And that could be, you know, if she gets in the clinch with Holly against the cage and is able to rough her up with knees and elbows and short punches there, I think she could have the opportunity to take her down and continue the punishment on the ground. So I mean, I, I feel pretty comfortable taking Cyborg, um, but it will be interesting to see. If Cyborg comes in over aggressive and Holly Holm is able to pivot off the center line and counter punch, kind of like what we saw her do with Ronda, um, it could be a really interesting match, right? Um, Holly Holm yeah, does I, have a good, you know, skill set to 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 be able to maintain and pressure Cyborg. And I think this fight will be interesting if we go into that fourth round and seeing how Cyborg has paced herself. If she kind of really goes for the kill early on. Um, you know, we could see her winded in those fourth and fifth rounds. We could see Holly try to push the pressure more, maybe start scoring with some, you know, heavy punches and kicks and try to win the fight that way. It's an interesting matchup. I think Cyborg's got it, but Holly is definitely a live dog in this one. I think she could do some things to make it interesting. I think she's going to be overwhelmed with the strength and size. I think she's difference. got a 20% chance of winning. One in That's five, fair. I'd give her. I think she's a 20% chance. I, I think I'd feel, this is the thing, and I don't think um, there's enough credit is given here. Where Cyborg has ki was kind of getting away early on on just being aggressive. Like, I don't think she was – I mean, talking earlier in her career, I don't think she was particularly good at striking. I think she just was clubbing people because she was just bigger and stronger than everybody. And if you want to blame that on whatever she was taking at the time or not taking, that's fine. But I think what we need to point to who now is that she – ever since she's been working with Jason Perillo the past few years – which might be the best thing that come out of her partnership with Tito Ortiz, which I think is might be done at this point, but um, where he hooked her up with Jason Perillo. Jason Perillo is a very good striking coach, and um, he got himself. He had two UFC champions up until a couple months, until a month ago. Um, he was Michael Bisping's coach, also. Um, Jason Perillo has kind of turned her into a pretty like she's far more technically sound than she used to be. Her she doesn't just throw looping punches; they're straight, they're powerful. She moves in and out. She has movement. Um, Cyborg is probably not as good as a pure technical striker as Holly Holm, just based on Holly Holm's experience and just um, just the way her technique is. Holly Holm doesn't have power necessarily. She gets you with a high kick. Yeah, you're fucked. Um, and um, I'm sure we've mentioned this a billion times, but Mark and I do work together, so we talk about fights a fair amount. And I think we've like 
we both Mark said it earlier, and we've talked about this for about a month now, where I said there is the avenue where Holly Holm wins this fight. Where Cyborg gets hyper aggressive and Holly Holmes counter striking leads to something big, but I don't I'm don't think it's gonna happen. Um so I got Cyborg as well. Uh Stefan's going with the upset here with Holly Holm. Um Mike, um we've analyzed the shit out of it here, but I who do you think is gonna win? And I'm gonna say this, and I think I don't know if you agree with me here. I hope I want Holly Holm to win because in terms of noise cyborg and her management and all that shit is annoying and i'm asking you this because i know mark doesn't pay as much attention to it so like like literally her management complains complains about the number of drug tests she has to take which come on guys um which was funny considering that when she voiced that holly home and the only only the way that a sweet little christian can she didn't so much call out cyborg but say oh look you know i get drug tested as well i just don't put it on instagram yeah and you know, i've actually been drug tested once more than than cyborg that was that year. was wonderful but, yeah you um, know, it's um, not my place to really say things so that was great uh, yeah i mean i'm gonna say before besides that this division's kind of a joke and a cyborg losing here would give us something like come on there's nothing there's no there's no one left after this like, yeah, man, is she gonna you know, is she gonna fight Katzingano because th that she's hasn't won in like two years. You know, I think one reason why you don't see many other women from 135 going up to 145 is because, frankly, not many women want to fight Cyborg. So I think that's one reason why that you haven't seen an exodus of people up to 145. You know, normally in the UFC, whenever a new a new weight class opens up, you'll see people from. Well, that doesn't count in this case, but you'll see people from the weight division above and the weight division below, you know, funnel in, funnel into it. But with someone that's historically been as dominant as Cyborg has, you, you haven't seen it yet. But as Mike, much as I think, love Holly. Mike, do you think, because I saw this, uh, Ronda Rousey showed up and we got an uptick in women's fighting. Um, Cynthia Calvillo, I heard today, was talking about how she saw Ronda Rousey and that made her want to do this. And she's 7-0, so that's why she's saying this. I mean, do you think – I mean, every – you get the impression the UFC creates a weight class and we will get more people. Like, it well, seems like we're finally there with flyweight where we're getting a couple guys who are still too young to fight Mighty Mouse, but we're starting to get some guys slowly showing well, up. I, are we going to get think, that at 145, or is Cyborg – is this division not a real thing enough? <laughs> well, I think that when it comes to Taronda, for sure there are likely women now who have started – practicing mma and going into it solely because of her but i think now in retrospect maybe there was too much made of ronda being the one that heralded the 135 division and made it what it was because let's not forget that when she came into the ufc it wasn't like it was her and absolutely no one else was there. Misha Tate came in, Liz Carmouche. There were a lot of other good 135ers that had been around for a long time at that point. So there was already a lot of really good competition of women fighting at 135. Even back at that time, there were still really no 145ers. It was still an extremely shallow division even then. At least six, seven years ago, there were a good amount of 135ers. So it's going to take a lot more time for the 145 people to come in. I think the fact that there is now division in the UFC, at least on some level, it's getting exposure. Yeah, sure. 
there will be more women that come in, but it's I don't think it's gonna be for at least two or three three years. But have we had have we had three featherweight fights this entire year? This year? Or four? When was the Holly uh Holly Durandamy? I mean, okay. Okay, hell, the history of this division. Holly fought Durand Durandamy. That that was and, this year in January? This, I don't know. And then Cyborg fought Tanya Evinger, and then this is the third one. Because Cyborg was fighting at like 140, the, like those other fights. Those don't count. I think you're right. So, like, we need fights. Like, there needs, they gotta start, look, we need a season of tough for a bunch of big girls who may not be that good, and we need to bury them on Fight Pass, is what I'm getting at. Or, like, I think we just need bodies. I mean, Mike, it give might, me a pick. We're just going it, off topic. Who do, you, who do you got here? Let's start with that. Let's go right, with that. So, we... I thought I was gonna be the only one to go against the grain. I'm actually gonna pick Holly. I'm banking on that 20% chance that you mentioned earlier, Bobby. And it's for a lot of the same reasons that you and Mark have already talked about. That with Holly, if it's someone who is a more defensive fighter and isn't going to bring the fight to her, that's when you'll see a normally pretty boring fight or a fight where you're not even sure if Holly wins or she loses. You know, for example, Raquel Pennington didn't really bring the fight too much to her in her debut, and it wasn't that interesting a fight, for Shit, example. I thought Raquel won. <laughs> yeah. And granted, really granted. Ronda is nowhere near the striker that Cyborg is. But we've seen what Holly can do when someone is extremely aggressive coming at her. She's likely one of the best counter strikers and counter punchers in, you know, in women's MMA. And while Cyborg is on another level from a lot of the other women she's faced, it's not like she has a bum camp behind her. She has Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejong behind her. You know what? Also, Mike, they also have uh, they have the footage of uh, Cyborg getting beat up by Joanna Bars in that kickboxing match, and there's some pretty good video analyze. They can they probably draw something out of that fight too. Exactly. So while it's in a kickboxing match, there is some something you can draw on. So I'm banking on you know an excellent game plan, and yeah. Holly got taken down against Misha, but that was after five rounds of Misha trying to take her down. So she has very solid takedown defense. Granted, if she gets taken to the down, that might be all she wrote. But I'm banking on that her solid wrestling defense and a great game plan coming out of her and Jackson camp. Probably um, leading her to a, to a victory. As I've just picked the same thing as Mark, let's take a moment here. Mark, to congratulate Marcus on being our picks champion for 2017. Because the only way I was going to tie the man is if I picked against him in every one of these fights. And I honestly am not just going to do that for the sake of doing it. So, Marcus, mazel tov on being right 58% of the time. And the rest of us being real bad at this, too. <laughs> well, am I about 50%? When it's, when it's in the books officially, we, then we can celebrate. Who knows? Maybe this fight gets canceled. They add another one. We all pick. And I did the wrong one. Okay. I'll wait. Um, I'll wait to, to savor the, the free Marcus, of my labor. Marcus, Vuvo, who said we didn't need a trophy when I won last year. I bet he kind of was, which is we just had a trophy. I could get nah, it. But, or a title belt or a championship belt, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, we didn't pick what great this year, guys. But, yeah, man, better than 50%. So, what are you going to do? Um, all right. Um, co-main event, which, speaking of fights maybe getting canceled, Khabib Nurmagomedov fighting in his first fight since, I don't know, man. Like, last April twenty. 20- 15? 
No, he fought in New York when Connor. When he beat he Michael fought Johnson. Michael Johnson in November. So, yeah. Donald okay. Trump got elected. Four days later, Khabib fought. Since then, no fights. All right? There we go. That's just number of walls built by both of them. Zero so far. So, right on track here. Russians um, involved in both of those things. Exactly. Khabib, who's managed by scumbag Abdel, Abdel, Ali Abdelaziz, which pimps him out to uh, Chechen warlord uh, Kadyerov. Kadri- Kadi- I can't say his name. You guys know what I'm talking about. That's I wanted to shout on Ali Abdelaziz one more time. Khabib, not, you know, hands not clean in this equation either. Hanging out with a homophobic, uh, by homophobic, I mean in favor of killing gay people. Russian warlord, uh, Chechen warlord. So, yeah, I want to put that out there. Khabib fighting his first fight in over a year, assuming he makes it to the cage. Um, Khabib uh, taking on Edson Barboza. Uh, Edson Barboza, a favorite of pretty much everybody here to watch fight, um, coming into this fight on a three-fight winning streak. Um, he's won four of five, his only loss being to the interim champion, Tony Ferguson, which was just a hell of a fight. Marcus, I remember you made mention of it a couple of years ago in our Fighter of the Year um, picks, and that was, oh, I think you chose, might have chose Tony's submission on Edson as your submission of the year. It was an excellent fight nonetheless. Um, Khabib is coming into this fight as the favorite, as minus 280, which seems like a lot. Uh, seems like a whole lot, to be honest. Um, Edson coming in plus 240. Um, I want Khabib to lose. Um, it's not that I don't like Khabib. I think Khabib is great. I think it would be good for Khabib to get his ass whooped. Because I don't know if Khabib is doing shit the right way. Because I don't think it's possible he's doing things the right way. The way his career has gone for the last year or so. And if there were some consequences from that, I hope maybe he would fire his manager, for example. That's all I'm really hoping for here. Um, realistically, though, I think Khabib is going to win. I think Edson Barbosa, while has gotten much better at takedown defense, hanging out with Frankie Edgar and that team in New York, New Jersey area. Um, Khabib takes you down if Khabib wants to take you down. And after Edson almost kicks his head off for the first two minutes, I say, I say Mike, two minutes of Edson almost kicking his head off, Khabib's going to put his ass on the ground and start grinding him like he's a peppercorns. So I got Tony. I got um, Khabib winning by decision. You're assuming that Habib would even stand up with him for two minutes. That's that's very bold of you. I mean, he thinks he can uh, strike, man. He's still with Michael Johnson until Michael Johnson clubbed him. <laughs> well, that's 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 stupid on his part. You do not try to stand with us in Barbosa. But when it comes to picking this fight, uh, Habib's nutritionist, Tyler Minson, said that Habib right now, at least as of today, earlier today, weighed 169 pounds. So all he... All he has to cut is 13 pounds between now and Friday. Uh, there's a good chance he actually makes this weight, guys. I mean, Mike, this is New York. I mean, this is this is this, this is Las Vegas. I mean, how well did you? I mean, there's a lot of food on that on that strip, man. Come on now. I'm just saying, guys, he may actually make it into the octagon this time. And if he makes it into the octagon, for sure he's gonna win. For sure. For Mike. sure. Do you just not think that much of Edson Barbosa, or do you just think no, this man's no, just on a different level? I just think that highly of Habib's ability to take any man down. Okay. Um, Steph also taking Habib here. Marcus, um, what do you got here, buddy? You're going to you gonna, gonna clean sweep this thing for Mr. Nurmagomedov? Yeah. Um, I mean, like you guys alluded to, I think the toughest fight here for Habib is really going to be the scale. And throughout his career, it's been that and, you know, his own body just not being able to sustain the, the training regiment that, you know, he puts on himself. Um, I think stylistic in this fight, it, it, it's going to be a tough one for Edson Barboza. It's really going to be on him to 
be the Manador, right? Because we know um, Habib is going to come in with a couple strikes to set up the takedown. Um, his striking often seems rudimentary compared to, you know, the tool set that Edson Barboza is going to come in and the damage that he can do with his legs and his hands. Um, especially when you look at uh, the last fight where he fought, uh, fought Don Darnoush, and not only, you know, did he fight another guy who was really grappling oriented, but he was able to read him really well. He, he noticed fairly quickly in the fight that he was using the jab to set up the takedown um, and was able to use that to his benefit to catch him with a flying knee. He'll have to do something similar with Habib, and I think Habib is a little bit better at setting up the takedowns. Um, and I think Habib's going to have a, a greater success rate once he's able to clinch up or get a hold of Edson to get him down. Um, that's really going to be the challenge, is just being able to cut off the cage and get his arms around him, because whether it's in a botched double leg attempt or clinching up, once he gets a hold of him, he will be able to take Edson down, and he will be able to dominate him from the top. Uh, whether he's able to finish him or not, I think is um, really up to his discretion. Uh, Habib will batter him and control him and potentially get a submission if those arise. But really, he'll just dominate each round. He's able to grab a hold of him. So that's really going to be, the, you know, it's a really man, it's a Matador Bull kind of scenario, except the Bull this time isn't necessarily throwing the big punches. Uh, he's going to be trying to get a hold of him and take him down. So I think, yeah, as long as Habib can come in at the weight, obviously, to make the fight, you know, come to fruition. And if he can do so while maintaining some health, you know, if he, if he has to kill himself to make 55, and he's super dehydrated. That can really affect his performance. But I Marcus, feel like if he can... Is, mm -hmm. is, this, is it enough for him to just go in? Because um, nobody seems to really give a shit for him. For a man who's 24-0 and was going to fight for the Ender belt. Nobody seems to, seems to really want to see him fight for a belt right now. Do you, what is, does, he, does winning enough or does he have to go out there and do something special? Well, I think really i mean i you know in an ideal world yeah he does something he finishes edson barboza you know in spectacular fashion the reality is he just needs to win right at the end of the day if he doesn't win the conversation is moot so he needs to win and i think you know i think he he knows that he needs to do it you know have an impressive performance here but i feel like he always does i don't, I don't feel like habib really stalls out on guys i mean he's fought defensive grapplers who he's had to take to the decision because he couldn't you know get you know get them out of there but I don't, I don't really remember a Habib fight where I was like, yeah, that guy didn't completely dominate the fight, right? Dude's never lost a round in his career. He's never lost a fight in his career. Um, it would be for his own benefit. He's able to finish the fight like he did with Johnson, but I don't think it's predicated on that. I don't think like him not finishing it, suddenly he's not the best guy in the division for the belt. It's really, it, it's, the outs, it's the outsiders that we've alluded to analyzing this fight. We're not even analyzing the fight. We're analyzing, can he make weight? Is he going to be able to go there on Friday and hit 156 on the scale. That's the biggest question. I think everything else after that is just kind of already written. You know, if, if Edson Barboza can get a win here, it'd be huge for him. But I think stylistically, that's a hard kind of matchup for him to look well in. It's a hard win for him to get. So, yeah, I mean, Man, I, I, thought, I thought he'd lost. Uh, I was about to, th I thought he'd lost one of those rounds to Gleison Tebow because everybody loses a round to Gleison Tebow, but he had not. So you're right. He has not lost a round that I can find. Yeah. So I, it, it, or at long least story any, fight short, that actually, any fight that went to completion, at least. He didn't lose yeah, I, I agree with you, Bob. I think that he will, he'll need to get some kind of press going, right, at the end of this fight to get people interested. And I feel if the performance doesn't do that in and of itself, and I think just beating Edson is a pretty good indicator that you're the best in the world, let alone your record. I think Habib knows kind of how to work the mic and work the marketing to call out Tony, make it, or Conor McGregor, whoever he really wants to fight, he'll call people out. He'll have a post-fight speech 
that I think will get the media enough to chew on to start speculating, oh, what, what will a title fight with him look like if he's able to get the win? Um, yeah, we'll see. Khabib, by the way, who was one of the most active fighters, quite frankly, you saw fighting every three months until around mid-2015, he started getting hurt, which interesting timing there, mid-2015. Uh, something else happened, too, in mid-2015. Um, UFC 219, the next fight, Cynthia Calvillo, Carla Esparza. Um, I am um, I am all on the hype train. I am on the Cynthia Calvillo hype train. It is safe. She has won a couple fights, so I'm not here to ruin it. I've been on it since right the first fight there. So 7-0. and um, I was watching the um, Embedded, I mentioned, where Uriah Faber, um, obviously biased, um, but he said this is a really tough matchup for Carla Esparza because the only thing Carla's really, I mean, okay, he didn't say only, the thing Carla's good at is grappling, and he says, he says, honestly, she's not better grapp she's not a better grappler than Cynthia Calvillo, which that might be him just talking, but fuck, I'll take his word for it. Um, I don't, I think this is going to be a rough one for Carla. I um, she's a good fighter, but I honestly think that a part of her, it seemed like a part of her died is the wrong word. It seemed like she lost something after Joanna whooped her ass. And, um, she hasn't really looked particularly good since then. Um, being, uh, two and one since then though, coming off of decision wins over, uh, decision win over, uh, Marina Moroz. I think Cynthia's on fire. Um, she's a two minus. She's a minus two fifty five favorite. Eight fights into her career against a former champion. Um, people believe in Cynthia Calvillo. She's a. She's obviously not that great on her feet, but Carla's not good on her feet, so no problem there. And if it ends up in a grappling exchange, I don't. I mean, I'm gonna lean towards uh, the young, uh, the young one here. Um, seems like she's really making some big strides. Um, and she's from San Jose. She's from the Bay, so. I'm a little biased too. So I got Cynthia Calvillo. Stefan also taking Cynthia Calvillo. Mike, what do you got here? Well, the only real thing that Carlos Barza really has as a plus is her wrestling. And I'm one that's to uh, that's inclined to believe Mr. Mr. Faber, even if uh, you got to think he's going to be a little biased. Mm-hmm. Everything I've seen out of Cynthia Calvillo in the last year, which has been a lot considering she's fought four times already in the last calendar year, mm. uh, it's been very impressive. And she's looked really good. I'm out. And a real big step. But she's gotten over all of those injury concerns and injuries. Mike, your uh, you know, thing's going real of the UFC. Mike, you're, you're all choppy here. Um, I'm gonna send it to Mark. Uh, we'll come sorry, back to you. It's okay. Can we'll you send it to Mark. We'll come... uh, I can hear you. Okay, you good now? Let's talk. Yeah. No. Um, I'll send. I'll come back to you, Mark. You yeah, go for and, now. Okay. Yeah, you know she's she's really coming on, now, Mike. So you're choppy. Um, we'll, gonna we're, we're gonna come back to you in a minute. All right, no problem. Mark, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no. I, I for the most part, I agree with you guys. Uh, my biggest question mark in this fight. Really is. I mean, Cynthia has shown that she is really good on the mat. And from what I vaguely remember, and I don't, I didn't get to see her last fight against uh, Joanne Calder- Calderwood, so I don't really have that. Really close, mm-hmm. um, right? Uh, but mostly, from what I remember of Cynthia, is like she's great in the scan in, in, in the scrambles. That's what we've kind of known. Alpha Mill has always been a camp that kind of their guys come out and they're really good at 
messing in the scrambles and getting the dominant position, whether it's taking the back or getting on top. So my question here is, or my, what I'm looking for in this fight is, if Carla is able to get on top, how does Cynthia respond being on the bottom? Because I could see a scenario here where we might, at the end of the day, have to be pumping the brakes a little bit on Cynthia if Carla is able to ground her and control her. And I think that may be a possibility, right? If Carla can you know, get her up against the cage, take her down, and just control her from guard, maybe fight off some triangle and armbar attempts, but mainly just stay in control, do some damage with ground and pound. But really, I think Carla might be able to just kind of stall her out on top and get a decision that wouldn't really be fan-friendly, but it'll get, it'll get her a big win that she needs. Um, otherwise, I think Cynthia, you know, has been making a lot of strides in her striking. She's showing improvement there from time to time. And really, in the scrambles, when it hits the mat, is really where we've seen her able to take the bat back of her opponents and sink in the, the rear naked choke. I think it's totally feasible. She might be able to get Carla in a scramble and be able to get on top of that. But I think that is fighting fire with fire. And I could, I really do see a scenario where Carla is able to do what she does best, right? Is just implement her wrestling and just stall out Cynthia, who might be active on the bottom. But if she can't, you know, get sweeps and stuff like that, I could see Carla kind of stalling her out on top. So that's really my main thing is like, can Cynthia get her down? And if I, I think if she gets Carla down, and Carla's in a lot of trouble. Man, Mark, you don't think like, okay, I, I if you made a pick in the middle there, I apologize. You're about to make it, but I don't. Um, Randa Marcos, she couldn't get Randa Marcos down, and Randa's okay, but she's not as good a grappler as Cynthia. I well, I think Randa is a stronger wrestler. In, in the ten, in in the in the game of getting someone down and stopping someone from taking down, I think Cynthia is a better grappler in the sense that she knows how to move her hips. She knows how to, you know, react in the scrambles and hit different marks on there. It's it's two different wrestling styles, really. It's two different grappling styles. I think Cynthia is extremely skilled in the scramble, in the transitions. But I think Carla is a really strong wrestler who knows how to, you know, not get taken down and how to take girls down when she's able to clinch up with them. So, I, I, I mean, hey, I'm not going to be surprised. And you might be if Carla gets on top and we see three rounds of kind of a boring MMA fight but one where Cynthia just gets stalled out. I think that's a possibility. I'm going with Cynthia. I think she okay. has the more well-rounded skill set, and I think if we get into scrambles, she's going to be better suited there. I'm just not going to be surprised if I get a decision from Carla, which was lackluster, but she utilized a bigger, stronger wrestling game because I think that's what she's bringing in here. Mike, uh, back to you. Um, or what happened? Mike disappeared. Can't see him, can't hear him. Can't see him, can't hear him. Mike, come back. Um, all right, um, we'll come. We'll get his pick on the on this fight, uh, which I think was headed towards Miss Calvillo. But we'll uh, we'll confirm with him uh, when he gets his connection issue sorted out. Which it, this is not ideal right now. Mike, where are you? Um, all right, um, the last fight we're gonna pick because uh, we're not picking the Dia Casey fight is the return of the natural born killer Carlos Condit. Um, Saw a video of Esther Lynn and him eating breakfast on uh, MMA Fighting website. Really enjoyable video. Carlos Condit, wild man in the ring. Seems like a cage. Seems like a good dude all the other times. Um, Neil Magny. Um, I know I was a big Neil. I'm a big Neil Magny guy. I always have been. But I honestly am. It's it. The things have taken a turn. Um, and I he. He fucking the Johnny Hendricks fight. He didn't look good, and Johnny Hendricks showed up overweight at 170 pounds. Um, I know I'm generally really skeptical when a guy just comes back. 
Um, I think Carlos hasn't fought my uh, Marcus in about a year and a little bit, maybe a year and a half. It was last August. Yeah, when uh, Damian Maya, it kind of looked honestly in that fight where like it looked like that fight with Robbie Lawler. It's I think a part of both of them um, kind of died. I said died again. It's disappressing, but like they left a part of themselves in the cage, I guess, um, that night, and uh, neither one of them really looked the same. I mean. Damian Maya ran through uh, Carlos Condit like a you know, hot knife through butter. Um, and then Robbie Lawler immediately lost his belt after that. So I, I think a recharge was in order. Carlos has a lot, had a lot of fights. Marcus, do you have a schedule in front of him? I mean, his record in front of you? Uh, yeah, he is 30 and 10. That's, that's 40 fights is a lot of guys. That's kind of like, you know, think, I mean, we'll, I mean, there's a lot of losses in these last, you know, it was 28 and 5, you know. A lot of losing in the middle here. Um, but I'm still going to go with Carlos Condit. I, I think he's the favorite. Let me look. Carlos Condit is minus 165 to Neil Magny's one plus 145. Steph's taking Carlos Condit. I, I'm going to Carlos Condit too, man. Uh, Neil Magny, I I don't trust the situation yet with him. And given how slow of a starter he is, Marcus, and Carlos Condit's ability to, you know, just wreck motherfuckers, I think this might go real badly for him. Um what do you got? Yeah, I, 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 when I breaking down this fight, I just see Carlos as a stronger fighter um, in every different, you know, aspect aspect of the fight. Whether it's going to be standing in the clinch or on the ground, I feel like he has more tools that he's able to more frequently utilize to get wins. Um, but both guys are coming off of, you know, losses where they kind of got steamrolled. Right, the guys just outgrappled them, and they both seem like maybe their head wasn't. Especially Carlos. I mean, he definitely just seemed like. He was a step behind in that Damian Maya fight. Um, and Neil Magny, when he fought Dos Anjos, just didn't have it, right? Dos Anjos was a step a beat uh, ahead of him as well. Um, so, I mean, I'm most, I, I think on paper, Carlos has a, a much better skill set. I think he's sharper and, you know, has more tools to utilize and utilize them better with his knees and elbows, which Neil also does. He just doesn't seem as tight and precise as Carlos is. Um, so I definitely think Carlos on paper is the front runner. Um, my biggest question is just mentally, where is he at? You know, was this time off um, and being able to kind of recharge the batteries, was that really good for him? You know, did he get that fire back or is he still kind of phoning it in? Because if he is and Magny's, you know, on top of his shit, Magny could pull it off. But even then, I think Carlos on his worst day is still going to give Neil Magny a tough fight um, on his best. So um, I, I definitely I feel confident in Carlos. Um, I just hope that he's mentally this little break got him excited for the fight and got him revitalized and you know he knows that different guys are at the top now than they were before so his you know his climb there might be a little different and he still has a shot at it so we'll see um mike um you're back here but let's real quickly i want to mention some news they're going to do one of those big ufc press conferences this week to announce a bunch of the fights they have coming up but there's no conor mcgregor so no one's going to be yelling anything and there's no nate so you have to watch it. Mike, give me your prediction for Cynthia Calvillo and, Car and Carlos Barza before giving me your thoughts on Condit and Magni. Yeah, sorry about that. My internet connection's pretty shitty. So what I was trying to say, I don't know how much of it got through. I'll try to make it as quick as possible. Is Carla really only has one plus skill is her wrestling. With Cynthia, with each fight that we've seen in the last calendar year, which has been about four, uh, she keeps getting better and better and she keeps improving gonna bank on another jump in her skill level 
to take this fight. I think that the only thing Carla has for her is maybe her wrestling. And considering that Cynthia's been at Team Alpha Male for God knows how long, I don't think we've seen the best of what she can do when it comes to grappling. And if it's if it's a push or maybe she's just a little worse, then Carla's not going to have anything for her. And moving on to Conda and Magni, Magni is what I like to call fool's gold. We thought he was a contender because of that streak he went on. But he's come back down to earth since then. Condit, Condit at one point was the interim champion. We've seen Condit fight. He's got all the weapons in the world. It's just a matter of does this man really want to do this anymore? Because he's thought about retiring like two or three times. And shit, he even kind of retired for a year. So it's really just a matter of how does Condit come into this fight. But I'm still picking Condit. Um, all right, all of us picking uh, the natural born killer, killer, Carlos Condit. Um, man, we got like I like how the only diversity we have on these picks is for the main event, which has got the biggest line. That's that's what I like. <laughs> we're all like these other fights. We're like uh, we're all one sided. The one where we're fighting a girl, as a girl who doesn't lose to anybody against a girl who's from a different weight class. <laughs> okay, and has lost three of four. We're like, nah. <laughs> That's the one we're up. That's up for grabs. That's the one. <laughs> I got a feeling. I think that's where if wishing, you know, <laughs> made things change. That's what that was, it seems like to me. If we're being honest. Um All right. Um so that's it, man. That's UFC two nineteen. I'm pretty excited for this card, guys. Uh, I think it's pretty good. Um I'm excited to see what Mark D Mark D Casey can do. Khalil Roundtree is a guy to look at at two oh five because He's under 40. Um, Miles Jury might still be a thing. We don't know. Um, and then Louis Smolka and Tim Elliott. I mean, I prefer if they're fighting each other, which I think they've already done, but they're fighting other folks. Um, still going to be pretty good. So, and it's only 10, fight car 10 fights. I don't know. I mean, I guess we don't have fight pass. It doesn't make a difference, but still, I like the fewer fights here. Um, all right. Um, Let's do Memoirs of a Fight Fan. Um, this week, we are going to discuss who we believe to be the best MMA heavyweight. Using whatever criteria you want. Best career. Um, he had the best skills. Um, he, If they all fought, this guy would win for this reason. Whatever reason you want to go with. Um, and um, this is one of the few weight classes, I think, in MMA where we're kind of divided. Um, I think we, I think general consensus is when you go up to weight classes, you're like, well, flyweight, mighty mouse, 135 Cruz, 145 Aldo, 55 is kind of up for grabs, uh, 70 is St. Pierre, Anderson, 185, Jones, 205, and then heavyweights up for grabs. I think we talked about lightweight. We might've framed it as who's your favorite, but whatever. Um, Mike, I'm going to lead you off. I'm going to have you lead off because as man who's watching MMA the least amount of time, I'm imagining your pick is going to be from a more recent era. Yeah, I would say regularly I've been watching MMA since we moved in together. So it would be fall of 2009, give or take. Yeah. So for me, the best heavyweight I've seen, it's Kane Velasquez. And for me, I think that if you can get Kane Velasquez into the ring healthy, any heavyweight that's ever fought in his prime. He has, every heavyweight has power. That's just a given. 
If you weigh 220, 240 pounds, if you connect just right or even just on the chin in just the right way, anybody can go night-night if you fight at heavyweight. But what makes him stand apart is that he's so much faster than most heavyweights and the fact that he just has a gas tank that never runs out. Unless you're in Mexico. Uh, don't. Unless you're in Mexico and Verdum has been chilling there for the last month. All right. All right. Yes. Except in extenuating circumstances like that. But in my opinion, he could be any heavyweight if we were to put them into a virtual UFC game and have them fight. The only thing that really holds him back is his own body and training methods. You know, I think injuries that might be nagging injuries for other people that would be a good indicator for their bodies to stop and actually heal he is so much of a savage and a monster wrestler mentality man and that's the only thing that's keeping him from being unquestionably the best heavyweight ever if he was actually able to fight more than once every three years we wouldn't be having this memoirs of a fight. This wouldn't be the topic because it would for sure be Cain Velasquez. You think if Cain Velasquez didn't spend the last three years being half broken and just been defending the belt a couple times a year, maybe? Well, think about it like this. Kane, I think, no, not Kane. Stipe tied the record for most consecutive heavyweight title defenses with two. That's, I mean, that's like a four, that's a four man tie right there. It's like Brock, him, Kane, and like, one other person. Randy Couture might have two also, I think. I, I understand <laughs> I understand this is a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas, but I think if Hey man, Kane, whatever criteria you want to use, you're going with if, he had the Kane he had healthy, the if Kane is no healthy ridiculous. for a six fight span where he actually fights every six months, he for sure breaks that record. Fair enough. Um I think there's two choices, in my opinion. This is my opinion, of course. All of us give our opinion. I think the two choices are either Fedor or Kane. And it's interesting that I'm not bringing up Verdum because he beat both these dudes. Um, but I, I'm i going with Kane because um, I think Fedor had the best career. But I'm going to go with the, like, I think if they both fought in their prime, Kane would maul him because I think Kane would maul everybody. But I don't know how many times we saw it. That's the thing. How many times? Like, honestly, like, I, like, when Cain Velasquez, I'm not sure if you guys remember when he fought Noguera. Marcus, you remember when he fought Noguera and he hit him with, like, it was, like, left hook, uppercut, another left hook, and it dropped Noguera, and then hit him with two shots, and that was the whole fucking fight. Like, that was it. And that was, like, <clears> two <throat> minutes in. And Noguera still wasn't, like, it was Noguera was still kind of Noguera to this, at this point. But, like, it was, like, oh, my God. Like, Jesus Christ, that's a... He, that exists. Um, so I'm, and he, like, he beat Brock's ass. And beating Brock, I mean, was really hard for a while there, man. I don't know. I got Kane, man. I thought, I mean, I thought him and Junior, like, wrecked each other with both of them being two of the best ever. So I got Kane, but I think it's him or Fade, or in my opinion. I got Kane, though. Marcus, what do you think? <laughs> um, Yeah, like you guys alluded to, it's definitely a division that we, maybe watching the best in the division right now. Because I think Stipe and even Naganu, who's coming after the belt right now, these guys could right. easily could solidify themselves as the best. Um, I think a couple of things that, that is kind of holding off that conversation is neither of them have fought Kane. 
Um, did Stipe fight Junior and lost, lost. the first he lost, time? That was really close. They and that's kind of the thing with all of these. I think I think they only they might have fought twice. Maybe he got it back. I'm not. Yeah, because totally remember, sure. like Junior threw Junior threw some leg kicks and was looking good, but then Stipe like murdered him. That was one of the two defenses. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's tough with this, like you alluded to earlier, Bobby, was like some of the other weight classes. It's they usually have it, and a guy that's established, he was the best of whatever era of you know of the weight classes. You know, Rain, he was easily the most dominant guy. He's the best of that division, and heavyweight just doesn't have that. It's always been something that no one's been able to hold onto that belt and defend it for an extended amount of time. And I agree with you. I think Kane, skill set wise, definitely has shown that you know he can really put a hurting on a lot of these guys. He was so quick; his hands were sharp. You know, he also utilizes kicks. His wrestling's phenomenal. His ground and pound is right there. We've seen him lose multiple times at this point, right? Like we, we know this dude; that guy's not invincible. And when you mark it down to any of these guys, like we'll talk about Fedor, he has a lot of losses on his record. Um. <laughs> We talked about it before, and I guess I'll take. I don't have any problem taking Fedor. It's just it's really. Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't want to pigeonhole. You didn't have to pick him. It's fine. I mean, go I, I, I guess I will because because there is no front runner, and I think at, at least the argument you can make with Fedor is that even during his reign in Pride, he wasn't really fighting the best guys consistently. He did fight the best guys. It was once or twice. You know, he only fought Krokop once. He fought Nogueira three times. He had a lot of fights in there that were non-title fights that were just gimme fights like he was just demolishing guys like dan bulbish gary goodridge uh you know japanese cans uh zulu zinio who's like a 400 pound guy he had no he had no reason to be in there with fedor you know he got he got fed a lot of easier fights but he always found a way to win and i think that was kind of his you know besides his skill set which was extremely varied you know his sambo background he had arm bars from everywhere he was super slick tremendous liver kicks a killer uh lead left straight um the guy had a lot of tools you know that he was able to utilize but father time had really taken a peg off him and he stayed active and we saw him not at his best getting losses with Verdum, getting losses with dan henderson and then coming back even later fighting fabiano and not looking good and fedor's still around you know he's going to be fighting in the bellator tournament and but I think at this point, we can all say, like, you know, he's not the guy he once was. You know, his best years are past him at this point, in my opinion. Marcus, but did you agree? Did you? Uh, you mentioned Faber Doom, and I, I mentioned him too. Do you, for me, not that I dispute Verdum was a good, was an excellent fighter, and he really was, and he's still a good fighter. You know, he's still right up there uh, in the rankings. But do you almost feel like his, his, his resume, if you want to give him the best of all time, you're talking about the Fedor win. And the Kane wins, because those are the two guys we're talking about mostly here. I kind of feel that both of those wins are almost like a level, like, circumstance led to them on some level. And not that, like, like he did tap out Fedor. He did beat knockout. He did tap out Kane. But he was kind of the one who caught Fedor on the downslope. Like, he caught it. Like, we kind of saw it with Brett Rogers. And with the Kane one, it was like, Kane hasn't fought in a year. And this dude's been living in Mexico City. And it seems like... We got C-level Kane. Do you think almost like Verdum's two biggest points to his resume are like there's a little bit of a smudge on there almost with those bullet points? Yeah, you know what I, I mean? I, I think there's a number of great heavyweight fighters that we might have alluded to, but none of us talked seriously about them being considered the best. And it's just inconsistencies. And I think you can kind of rope Junior Dos Anjos in there as well, where there's definitely fights where they had all the skills in the world to beat these guys. When I think about Verdum, I think about his fights with Alistar Overeem where in the second fight, if he was more active, he probably could have got that win. And then even in their third fight, he just 
in the, in the last round, he he hurt Verdum and had an opportunity to finish up that fight and just wasn't able to. And I think that's kind of the thing that kind of mars a lot of these guys is that there has been no guy consistently at the top of the mountain able to fend off everyone. It seems like either man, whether it it's health issues. It could have been Reem, man. He came into the UFC. He knocked Brock out. He was going to get that title fight. And then fucking uh, the Nevada Commission caught his ass. There's, he was like 19 to 1. He was, he was there, man. There's six there. guys that were all there. Kane was there. Dos Anjos was there. Verdum is there. Now Stipe, Stipe's on top. And, you know, he's been hanging around for a while. And now Nagano is, I mean, I think someone that, you know, ask the same question next year. We might all say Nagano because he beat Stipe, grabs that belt and defends it a couple times next year against credible guys. Like maybe he fights Kane Velasquez and knocks him out. And, you know, one of their title defense against a top guy, he can easily, you know, basically getting that record will say a lot for your legacy, I think, at this point, because no one's able to do it. And I think Nagano has a lot of that skill sets to do it. I think he has a great shot against Stipe. That all being said, if Stipe beats Nagano, I think that sets the world on fire as well, because Nagano is a credible threat that has, you know, a fantastic future ahead of him. So if Stipe is able to beat him and get... an more wins, more defenses as well. I think you can easily say Stipe, even though he's lost some fights here, you know, he has some blood on his ledger, if you want to say that. Um, he'll have corrected the ship enough at that point to, to, to be at the top of that mountain to really solidify himself as the best, I think. Yeah, God, I can't. How far are we, guys, from Nganu versus uh, Stipe? Like four Is weeks? It January? Sometime in January. It's like, it's like yeah. January 20th. So, like, yeah. close. Weeks? God, I am so. I, I haven't been this excited for a heavyweight fight. I haven't been this excited for a heavyweight fight since probably. This is more than Kane and GD. This is probably since like Brock and Kane. This is the most excited I've been probably, Mike. Like for that that fight. Like that's. That was what six years ago. That's how long it's been. I'm I'm hyped. I haven't been this excited since Brock and Overeem, when we were at the steroid. absolute height of steroid use. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the big boys, man. <laughs> that was that was that was some, those were some, that was the one you get the video on the internet of Overeem taking off his shirt at the weigh-ins and they cut they show Ariani's face and Ariani like I think like the comment I read was like oh she got pregnant just by looking at him. <laughs> um, that was that was five hundred thirty pounds of just prime you know bovine steroids i just remember i god the best line anybody's ever written about mma and will ever write about mma alistair overeem looks like somebody from marvel comics genetically earned somebody engineered somebody to fuck your girlfriend that was it's <laughs> not good that's it like it's we hit it guys like five years ago this dude on cracked sean baby um, put it out there. That was it. Like he, we hit it. It's not going to get better. Okay. Um, we can talk about touch button to park all we want. Genetically engineered to fuck your girlfriend. All right. There it is. Um, let's do, um, are we at stuff we like? Yeah, man. I think so. Yeah. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's put it out there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on Mike to talk about the switch. Mike, go. <laughs> all right. So. Before I talk about the Switch, uh, one movie that I am pleasantly surprised at how much I liked it, it came out Friday on Netflix. It will be the Will Smith feature, Bright. Woo, Mike taking a hardline stance. Got... Gonna be, Mike going to be in that 20% that liked it. <laughs> 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. I have read many news articles that the critics hated the movie, but the Rotten Tomato score, I think, for it is pretty solid. And basically, I anyone mean, who I talked to at work today, they said they loved it. Mike works with Mongoloids. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I haven't seen it yet, Mike, but I'm... I think I'm going to enjoy it. What I mean, what I liked about it is I think it has a really cool concept. I think this mixing of modern day and fantasy is a really cool playground. And from a lot of the reviews that I read, I mean, I think the couple that I read said like, it's good. It, 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 and they kind of ring that sentiment as well that like, this concept is really cool. Some of the characters aren't developed as well. And some of the world building could have done even more so. And I, I think what I, what I got mostly from the reviews is that like, this was good. And they want more of it, whether it's like a mini series with episodes or more movies. It's kind of like they they got they got something interesting here, and it seems like they did a decent job, kind of finding what they were trying to say. Whether it, it in a lot of it seems to be kind of like race relations of today's modern day showcase in this fantasy kind of setting, which like again, like the concept I think is really unique and fun and interesting. And what I kind of heard is like. The actually like nailing it down, like the actual movie itself is fun and good, but there's a lot of interesting stories that could still kind of tell in this universe. And this movie in and of itself didn't really knock it out of the park, but it sets up a cool groundwork. I mean, is that more or less what you would no, say as well? Like, I, I agree. You know, uh, the four, um, not, not Force Awakens. What the hell is the second Star Wars movie called? The Last Jedi. Uh, you know, The Last Jedi kind of left you with a lot of questions, maybe a little bit in not a good way. Whereas Bright, it left you with a thought of, man, I want to know more about this world. Like, I can't it's... wait for the second movie to come out. The screenwriter has been accused of sexual assault by three women. So David Ayer? Nope. Max Landis. Oh, uh, well... So I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody else can write it, but this dude's comic book just got kicked off of whatever some sort of maybe DC he can comics ghost thing. Write too. It. Can he ghost write yeah, it? Yeah, no, honestly, like it's a side note. Max Max Landis created one of my favorite things out there uh, called "Wrestling Isn't Wrestling," and then uh, it kind of sucks when somebody you like their stuff goes Jesus, out there and man. like. Do you got to be a creep to be a genius? It seems I mean, almost like that. I mean, genius. Let's let's be okay. Maybe I mean, not. Let's go. I mean, okay. Look, I mean, look. I di I didn't watch Dirk Gently or whatever that TV show is called. I heard it's okay. That's his too. That got canceled too. Yeah, not to take this in a rough but area, but anyway, like that, just, just I saw your, I saw uh, that and I saw that and it bummed me out because I like I really like wrestling. Is it wrestling? Is one of the well, coolest just for things. Your reference on Rotten Tomatoes, the approved critics gave it a thirty percent, whereas the audience score for it, which is people have rated at 3.5 or higher is at 89 percent man 50 percent of people didn't like right? the last Jedi. that is a b plus all right 50 percent okay. of people in this country voted for donald to, trump yeah you're going home to your parents happy all right like yo mom dad the teacher gave you a 28 your friends gave you an 88 i mean but i can i i think hearing the reviews it's understandable why you get that kind of thing because I mean, like i just I said like I'm, I'm, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of the fans, the non-critics would s watch this movie and be like, oh, this is really cool. Like, you can understand, like, this could have been done better. The the script, the acting, the special effects, all that maybe could have been hit up a notch to really kind of knock it out of the park. But they were on to something cool. And I think that's what the fan base kind of says is like, I enjoyed watching that. It was fun. It was interesting. It kept me entertained throughout. It could be better. Whereas I think when you go to a movie critic, 
when they see stuff like weak scripts and, you know, lackluster performances or something like that, they're going to be judging it a little bit harder. Whether the concept is interesting or unique to them, I think doesn't give credit critics like that much to chew on, right? Like if you have a cool concept, I think that doesn't wow a critic as much as it might your everyday fan, right? And I think that's why you see the divide with the critics who are analyzing the film on a critical basis about like, you know, how it's shot and dialogue and scenes getting presented. And maybe your every J. Joe Schmo who's just flipping through on Netflix, he's like, oh, it's orcs and the LAPD and it's, you know, gangsters and elves and it's these meshing of two things that I think are interesting. And that concept alone lets me enjoy the film more than I would if I'm kind of being analytical about you know, how the performances are, how special effects, how everything's melding to, together, how the narrative kind of flows. Um, this all being said, still haven't seen it. This is just purely going off what people are saying, but having watched trailers of it and knowing what it is and hearing people's responses to it, I get why critics would not like it, but fans would, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm taking a hard line in the stance of a movie that I haven't seen and I still want to watch. I still want to see it. I just read not so great things. Um, he also wrote Chronicle, just to bum everybody out even more because I know we all liked Chronicle. So that's Max Landis. Um, all right, um, Mike, uh, did you want to say anything about the switch? <laughs> and Mike's gone. Mike's gone. All right, Mike goes out, drops the mic, calls it a day. I'll talk about the switch. Mike got a switch. I did. And then get he played. There we go. <laughs> yes, my uh, very, 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 very lovely girlfriend was so kind and probably just a little lazy because she didn't actually go out and get a gift. But uh, she was very kind in getting me a Switch for Christmas, and I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it so far. Um, I bought Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild for it, and uh, because I knew I was going to be going over to Phil's house to spend a little uh, time during Christmas with him, I thought I should probably buy a two-player game as well, so I bought Mario Kart Deluxe. And, you know, it's actually the first Mario Kart game I've owned since the original Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so it's it's really fun so far. I've uh, I had to go to the supermarket on Sunday. Yeah, I had to go on Sunday, and I was right in the middle of playing uh, Zelda. And I decided to just pop it out and walk over to the supermarket. Although it can be a little tricky to do that in New York City streets. Uh, Wait, are you walking and playing the Nintendo Switch? I feel that is not what you're supposed to be doing with this thing. Pro tip, kids. Do not get engrossed in playing Zelda while walking on very busy New York City streets. You may get hit by a car. By the way, I want to recap the thing here what we learned today where Mike has grown facial hair that his girlfriend doesn't like, and then she spent $300 on Nintendo Switch for him, and then Mike complained that it was a lazy present. And then he's oh, going to drive would... and walk in the traffic with it. Oh, no, no, no. She would agree it was it was a lazy present. But you know what? I give her a pass because she's been studying very hard for some tests. She don't have time to really be shopping for shit. All right? Like I told you, you know, you I mean... get a pass. Okay. You get, you a, get pass, a pass. To buy you a buying you, buying Mike the the <laughs> best video games, the most popular video game system of the past six months, at least, if not the whole year, gets a pass. Um, you guys should get a Nintendo Switch. We all got Nintendo Switches. Stefan's got a Switch, right, Marcus? Yeah, we all do. We got to get Mike. Yeah. 
Our friend codes, I guess. I never play Dude, it's not online easy, early, like, but I, like, I mean, it's... I, literally, I, I asked you guys in the group chat to send me your friend codes. The only one I mean, I sent, I sent you... Obviously, I guess he's my only friend in this group. Well, then I you didn't do anything. I went and had to type yours in. What are you talking about? I, I think you I both thought, have to. You have to both... What is like, that? Really? It's weird. It is so stupid. It's I tried to have my brother... What is that? I added my little brother as a friend. We were just we were we were two feet away from each other, both on the same Wi-Fi network. It took us like ten minutes to figure out how to do this thing. Next time I turn I on my switch, I will get that right. number for you, Mike, and send it over. But until right. that happens, <laughs> we all got to play Mario Kart. I think we all have Mario Kart, actually. Yeah, I think we. I don't know if Steph does. Steph but... needs to get Mario Kart. I, yeah, I feel sure. that's one of like I feel the games you need for this system are like Mario, Zelda, Mario Kart. I don't have Zelda yet because I got to beat Mario first. Um. I'll, I'll talk about something before we go to Marcus. I watched uh, Kingsman 2. Um, Mike, did you watch Kingsman 2? You know I did. Did you find... Okay, I thought it was okay. Like, I liked the original quite a bit. Did you feel that, like, they kind of just took, like... Like, it's kind of the classic sequel move where they took some of the stuff from the first movie and just, like, amped up the intensity? Like, I kind of was just yeah. like, what are we doing? Like, I kind of was just like... I was like, I was like, there was, like, half a story. And then, like, let's just do some cool-ass fights and, like... You know, some nostalgia, some like throwbacks to the first movie. Like, it was a good time. I had a good time, but I was kind of hoping we get like a whole series out of this thing. And now I'm kind of like, yeah, man, I'm good. Well, I think they're going to make a third one. And I heard they're going to. But I'll see it. Yeah, I'll see it. It, it, it might be like Fast and the Furious. Maybe it's going to become that type of franchise. I also hear they're planning on making a uh, spinoff of The Statesman. Why? Yeah, I don't know. Although I'm really sad that like they killed Merlin, and oh, spoiler alert, they killed Merlin, and then they also killed uh, Roxy at the beginning as well. I really enjoyed Roxy. I really like Roxy too. <laughs> I hope I hope Mark is seen. I hope I ruined this for him. Actually, sorry, Mark. I don't think Mark cares. Uh, I haven't, and I do want to see it. I wasn't. That's, I don't remember Mark's that character. Remember but names. Names. Yeah, I was gonna say I forgot. I didn't know anybody's name until the movie started again. I forgot. I don't. I, I forgot the main character's name was Exy for like until the thing started. So let's. I really like um, what's the name of the guy, the bald guy in the movies? And Mark really? is it Mark Strong? Oh, you mean in real life? Yeah. No idea. That guy is good in the movie. He's really good. He's good in the first one too. There wasn't enough was, I mean, states. Uh, yeah, there was. And I, I think you told me, you're like, C. Tates is not in this movie as long as you think he's going to be in it. Um, uh, also, for those of you that don't know who C. Tates is, because I realize that's a short-term No, Wait, wait. Everybody, everybody knows who C. Tates Nobody is. Nobody knows. Point, all right? Nobody if you listen to this fucking podcast, you know who C. Tates is. You know what? Look up who's in fucking Kingsman 2. You're gonna, it's real clear who C. Tates is. Okay? Well, for, those, for the uninitiated, C. Tates means Channing Tatum. Dude, everybody knows that. <laughs> That's just I'm just saying. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Strike Force fan, Channing Tatum. Comes all the way to San Jose to watch his boy Kung Lee fight. Alright, you know, um, I stand corrected because when you type in C Tates in Google, the first thing that comes up is the urban dictionary definition for C Tates. Thank you. <laughs> and an endearing nickname given to Channing Tatum. You'd bet your ass is endearing. Well remember the what was that one trailer for uh Step up to where the DJ just yells. <laughs> Tyler uh, Gage is in the building. I think we literally named our fantasy league Tyler Gage. We just watched that clip over and over again, just laughing. Channing Tatum. Just, by the way, 
the number two Google hit is an article from Uproxx for five years ago that says, celebrating our love affair with C. Tates. And the third search result is from Uproxx as well, a year later, saying, C. Tates finally going to get his gay on. I'm assuming this is when Magic Mike came out. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, Marcus, let's go to you, buddy. Um, any game news or really whatever you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, at, at this time of year, not much coming out on the game front. Um, there's been a cool uh, P- PlayStation Network sale going on the last couple of weeks. I think um, Steam's winter sale is going on, so you can grab some some good stuff at low prices. Um, stuff I was going to talk about, didn't have a ton this week, but I did stumble upon a really cool YouTube channel that unfortunately is related to uh, martial arts, which I know this is kind of be the one time we talk about something else, but um, the channel's called the modern martial artist and i stumbled upon it because he actually did a cool video where he talks about uh hajime no ipo which is a a boxing anime that i'm a huge fan of and i think mike's seen it as well um and he basically talks about real world boxers that were um that the show took inspiration from the show basically references certain boxers and their techniques that they used and this guy basically breaks it down to like yeah this boxer used this and he shows the footage and he does really in-depth analysis of um you know basically different either whether he's breaking down a fight whether it be how two guys styles are in a clash or he looks you know he does a breakdown of a certain guy's fighting style um his videos are really entertaining and i think the only knock is that there's not a ton of them uh but i definitely recommend it he does some really great videos with uh breaking down tj's movement and how he does stance changes like mike tyson he has footwork like ali how he sets up that big head kick that he got uh, Cody on um, and stuff like that. So, I mean, as someone that I, I don't really seek out kind of fight analysis and breakdowns, even though I kind of enjoy that stuff, uh, stumbled upon this guy and I really, really dug his stuff. Uh, other than that, um, just kind of a more personal thing, I guess, you know, Christmas is always fun getting presents and being with the family. And um, I always love talking to one of my cousins that does work down in LA. I always ask him what, weird projects he's working on and then in the next year i'll start seeing commercials for these weird movies that i wouldn't otherwise just kind of blow over but uh he's actually working on like shit like i'm a big fan of now which is really fun so he uh he told me that he worked on season two of westworld and i was like oh shit i actually i watched that shit and like and then he says that he's gonna be working in arkansas for the next six months um working on the third season of uh, true detective so that's always cool. I mean, he usually tells me wait, wait, that. Wait, wait, what? That's a thing. Is that not a thing? I, mean, I didn't say that. Man. Mike, that's a thing. <laughs> I think G. Selba's playing, isn't it? Did uh, they try to call Matthew McConaughey and they picked up and Idris Elba picked up the phone because they're making a movie together? Maybe, maybe that that's need to know basis that I should have mentioned on a podcast. Luckily, not a ton of people are going to listen to this, right? Not a big deal. But uh, yeah, no, he's, he's telling me the stuff he works on, and I was like, and it used to just be like random movies that I never heard of. And I'd randomly see him be like, oh, shit, that's the thing my cousin was talking about. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I've not only do I know this stuff, like I'm big fans of it. So it was always interesting to hear that stuff. And I, I did hear about this. It's uh, starring okay. uh, Maher, Marshala Ali. Um, you might know him as um, Remy from um, mm. from fucking uh, House of Cards. Um, he also played. Was the first bad guy in Luke Cage Diamondback, or was that the second bad? Yeah, guy? no, that was um, yeah. He was Diamondback then. Okay, that guy's great. So, 
Yeah, he was the he when he what, spoiler alert when he dies in Luke Cage, we're all just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, show what? got a bit worse after that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I and mean, he was basically telling me that you know he I, was Cottonmouth. He was not Diamondback. Oh, Cottonmouth. That's okay. Um, but basically, he was telling was me that you know they realized a lot of people didn't like season two all that much. I think we can attest to that, right? Did you watch it, Bobby? I think I watched the first episode and it just didn't grab me at all. You watched season one, right? I watched all of season one and loved it. Season one was great. Yeah. Yeah. Season one was great. And I, season I mean, two, it was What he was telling me is that like, they definitely realized that season two didn't land and they want to look back at season one and kind you know, take that as inspiration moving forward. The, uh, the writer got up his own ass and then they do what they didn't hire back the director of the first season. Which, okay. That was that too. Yeah. And then just talking to him about Westworld and just how, you know, crazy that show is, how difficult it is to film and stuff was just interesting to hear. And, um, you know, as a series that, you know, me and Steph, I don't know, uh, Bob and Mike, did you guys end up watching any of that yet? Westworld? I haven't, I haven't watched it. Right. Four episodes of Westworld. Right. So, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's a complex show with a lot of moving pieces and, just how, having to schedule film shoots for that just seems like it'd be a nightmare. And, um, you know, but it's, it, it, this is stuff that I'm actually gonna be like, okay, I'm, I, when I, when those episodes come up that he worked on, I'm going to be looking in the credits and actually seeing like, is he telling me bullshit? Or is he there? There he is. So that'll be fun. That's always cool. Um, but yeah, Matt, Marcus, I just want to say this cause I think you'll appreciate it. I'm looking up Maharshala Ali's Wikipedia page. It says that, um, Ali was signed by, to the Bay Area recording label Hieroglyphics Imperium, okay. um, which is the record label started by the Hieroglyphics, which right. people around the country may not know. The Hieroglyphics, um, mostly known from, like at this point, from Dell the Funky Homo Sapien being a part of them. So this guy raps too, apparently. So I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> that's cool. But yeah, that's also fun, you know, hanging out. Um, he named his cat Nas. Man, I could hang out with this dude. Um, I'm, I'm on board with all of this. It's from Oakland. Yeah, we could hang out. Um, all right. Um, that was it. This is like the first show we've done. That's less than an hour and a half in a while. God nice. bless. Um, we're gonna be back next week. Someone tell me, is there a card the week after this? Because there isn't. Because New we Japan. are going to talk. You know what? We're talking about New Japan. So, um, we're gonna talk about this card. And let me tell you guys right now, there's gonna be a segment of next week's show. Where me and Mark, at least, are going to be talking some New Japan. Because we are kind of hyped for Wrestle Kingdom 12. Despite the fact that we only kind of know most of these people. Hey, right? Let's, <laughs> also not, let's also not forget that this weekend is the Ryzen uh, New Year shows as well. Yeah, were, are they doing a thing? I, I, I yeah, haven't really I was heard gonna, Oh, yeah. So, uh, what's her name? Fading, facing another Jesse, 50. Uh, Garcia. Yeah. If you watch the countdown, you see her in Cyborg, and it's kind of funny. They talk about like, like uh, what's that boxing coach Bob that you were talking about? That Cyborg training Jason with. Brillo? Yeah, he talks about like, oh, you know, we have to have, you know, when she faces uh, uh, that other woman, I totally forget her name. Uh, Garcia. Garcia. Yeah, it's like she finally gets to feel like what it's like for these other girls to fight her, where she's like <laughs> this super small girl. So. Yeah, but Gabby Garcia's not good. Like she's a very good jujitsu player, but she's terrible standing. She's um, just huge. They're gonna make her. They're gonna that poor some poor Japanese lady's gonna get destroyed out there. Yeah. Um. So um. What well, this is our last episode for 2017. Um. I don't think again. Again, I think we failed to achieve 52 episodes in a calendar year. I think we um, got close though. We ended up with 51. Yep, missed one. 
This is, oh wait, that's not right. 50, 49. So we're going to end up with 50. I know you missed a week. Two. Wait, we're missing more than that. Okay, no, we're going to end up with like 48. <laughs> we got a couple. Uh, we were in Japan. Africa, we lost a week there or two. a couple times you, you weren't around. We lost so. an episode here. Things oh, happen. that's true. We did lose uh, that one. Uh, lost episode. Yeah. Um, and let's be so, true. There's been some technical issues that like some of these episodes probably aren't worth counting as like a full yeah episode, man but. like look stefan god bless him that microphone of his was not great a couple weeks ago um so guys you still listen all 120 to 200 of you or whatever it is depending on the week um yeah um s- other things that are going to come up there's going to be a royal rumble and everybody thinks ronda rousey's going to show up and win it so we're gonna have to talk about that at some point too so um a lot of pro wrestling in January. Um, shit, we should go to Hood Slam and talk about that. Uh, Mike, you got to visit during a time where we can go to Hood Slam. That's what we need to do. What's Hood Slam? Hood Slam is like you go to a you go to a warehouse in Oakland where there's no guardrails. There's just a ring in the middle of it and a bunch of bars, and then a bunch of people wrestle. And it's, I guess, adult themed would be the answer when there's characters like Drugs Bunny. And the Stoner Brothers. It, Mike, and, it is it is worth you to go on YouTube and type in like honestly, Hood like, Slam I, I'm, documentary. I'm not... They they've done a couple like ten minute documentaries yeah. that kind of solidify what these guys do. It's really fun. It, it it's pro it wrestling. So for much fun. It is so it's such you don't even like wrestling, man. People are there no. drinking. It's a good time. Um, so I was just watching. I was talking to the Dark Sheik while he smoked a cigarette out in the patio after he had his match. It's a good time. Um. We should, honestly, we talked about Hood Slam in the past. We should bring it up again if we go. Um, all right, guys. Thank you guys for listening. Um, back next week, as I mentioned, there's no UFC card, but uh, we'll talk about the results of this one. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 12. We'll talk about Ryzen because Mike has committed himself just now to watching it. So he's going to have to give us a real in-depth recap of that thing. Um, I want to watch some of it. So <laughs> Yeah, Mike, Mark's the only one with the goddamn – do you have a DVR, Mike? Because Mark might be the only one with the DVR. Oh, I was going to try to catch it on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if I'll DVR, DVR. Not, oh, you're, one of those. You have a broken DVR too also, Marcus. we got to fix yeah, that before <laughs> before we go watch Wrestle Kingdom. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're back next week, as I mentioned. Uh, peace out. See you. See you.